0: Good morning. Delighted that you're able to be here for our online gathering of Gateway Church World. It's fantastic that we're able to continue to do this in this season, even as we look ahead uh, to seasons to come when we'll be able to perhaps have more freedoms and be able to gather again in person. Just on that note, uh, wanting to update you on a couple of things, I've been delighted uh, to be seeing dozens and dozens of you respond to the survey that we've made available to you through this past week. If you've not yet had a chance to do that, make sure you do it soon. You've only got a couple of days still to get your uh, feedback and your opinions and thoughts into us. The details are there in the meeting notes, and they'll be popping up in the chat as well. So click on that link and fill in that survey. It just takes a couple of minutes, no time at all. You've got the opportunity as well uh, to fill in connection cards. Whether you're new to us, please go ahead and let us know your details. We'd love to get some great resources to you. Even if you're part of the church, make sure we have your up-to-date details as we journey together into this new season. Another thing um, to say a big thank you for is so many of you contributing to our COVID-19 appeal, uh, resourcing our family support fund, our community support fund and the new uh, projects that we're developing as well as partnering with ELIM uh, ministries and churches around the globe in areas where this coronavirus pandemic has had devastating impact. So great to see so many of you connecting with that and giving so generously. If you've not yet done that, please do go ahead, gatewayworld.com forward slash giving. You can invest yourself, give generously, partner with your church and believers in serving God's purposes, even in this tough time. We're going to be thinking this morning about what it is for our doctrine and our devotion to be at work within this world. As we look into a letter in the Bible called Titus written by Paul to Titus. More on that later. But I would just love to begin in our worship time this morning with reading from the scriptures. If you've got a Bible with you, head to Titus chapter three. It's available for you as well. um, Just next to the chat function. If you click on that tab. The Bible tells us this in Titus 3 and verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. Come on, as we come to praise God together in song, shall we begin with a word of prayer? Let's give thanks to God, shall we? Oh Jesus, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives by means of your grace, your mercy, that we are being renewed, being regenerated and being transformed day by day into greater and greater glory. We thank you that you've done all of this, not because of our own goodness, but because of your goodness, not because we in some way deserve it, but rather because you have freely given this gift of grace to us. God, I pray for each and every one of us that we today we begin to embrace and understand and know and feel and live in the truths of our salvation God renew us in our understanding renew us in our joy in our salvation Lord God and let these things flow not only in us but one to another and yet further still into this world that we so long to know that Jesus is alive that he is the hope of salvation Lord Jesus, let us know this, proclaim this today and show this as we go forward from our gathering together. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: who breaks the power of our sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes this whole earth with human thunder who leaves us For me Who rules the nations With truth and justice burns like the sun In all of its brilliance The King of glory The King above all kings brings our chaos back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the king of glory, the king above all kings. Sing for all that you've done for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the great. Worthy is the Lamb. Conquer the great, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the great, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the great, worthy is the lamb who. the king who conquered the great worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy 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 this is amazing grace this is amazing you've
0: done for me how's your memory bit of a loaded question perhaps in in 2020 I guess it's it's a year isn't it that many people would like to forget I've been really impressed um just recently with my with my lad's memory with Judah's memory scary thing Um, definitely already Much better memory than me. We have this book that um, he's quite fond of. It's a retelling of the story of Noah's Ark, and uh, because he largely demands that he picks the books there, it appeared uh, one evening and. I think he likes the pictures of all the animals, but we started to to read the book, but he was telling me the story before I was telling him the story. He was like, oh, yeah, Noah was good, man, but all these other people, they were wicked, weren't they, Daddy? And, oh, I've got to get all the animals in the ark, two by two, and then they're just going to rain for 40 days, and before I could say it, he said, and for 40 nights as well. It was one of the quickest readings of any bedtime story ever. We were pretty much done right from the get-go. I was amazed. We've only read the story a handful of times and already all the details were there in his memory. It extends to loads of areas of life. He will memorise things from days, weeks, months back. I told you, it was truly terrifying. Although, Berenice, if you're there, you'll uh, be very pleased to learn, I'm sure, that he has memorised your birthday, and, uh, and that's great. Maybe not so glad to know that he's memorised how old you are. It's fine right now, might not be so great in the future. Um, hopefully, Judah's memory will decay um, similarly to the rest of us. Anyhow, memory, remembering things, being reminded, 2020, a year to forget, maybe with things to remember, things we ought to remember, growth perhaps to embed in our lives, changes to be made. Our reading from Scripture today in Titus chapter 3, it began with these words and they're found all the way through the Bible with good reason. These words, remind them. The truth is, you, me, us as a church, people always everywhere need reminding. Right way back in the Old Testament, Psalm 106, verse 7, it paints a picture of God's chosen people, but God's forgetful people. And there we find these words, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. A lack of remembrance and and the tragic consequence. Look, even in the presence of Jesus, Matthew 16 and verse 9, it shows that God's people are still forgetful. Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? the answer was no or at least not in a way that it affected their lives their behavior the way that they um, acted themselves and you know lest we think ourselves any better than the ancient chosen people the disciples in the new testament look remembering being reminded remains a key area of teaching in the bible for us uh, the apostles, Peter, Paul and John, it's, it's a plank that is is key in all their teaching and a refrain that comes up time and again in their letters to the church. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12-13 is a great example. And Peter there says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Yeah, we know things, but we need reminding of them. We know things, and yet we need reminding in their ways. You know, what I'm teaching you over these recent weeks and today, from the pages of of Paul's letter to Titus, look, it's not fancy, It's, it's nothing new. Actually, I'm pretty glad that I'm not called to be original, really, at all. Rather, I am called to be one who reminds. Reminds of truth and reminds of God's ways and welcomes us all into walking in those ways. Look, we need reminding, we need the age-old truths of the word of God to be as blunt, challenging and immovable as ever. Don't, in fact, we need to be moved? rather than seeking to move God. Writing about the unchanging word of God, John Calvin pointed it out like this. He said the former, that is those who who, uh, wrote the Bible, the former were sure and genuine scribes of the Holy Spirit and their writings are therefore to be considered oracles of God. But the sole office of others is to teach what is provided and sealed in the Holy Scriptures. We therefore teach that faithful ministers are now not permitted to coin any new doctrine, but they are simply to cleave, that is the whole to that doctrine, to which God has subjected all men without exception. Look, If anybody tells you there's a new way to know God or a a new way to follow God or some new variation on the gospel, they're lying to you. The Bible has the fullness of God's wisdom and his heart on the matter of our salvation and how we are to walk with him. So look, there's nothing new from me, just the age-old wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Let's head straight to the heart of the matter, to the heart of what it means to have faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That's right in the middle of what we're reading today. We've read those verses, look at them again, Titus 3, reading from verses 3 to 7. This is that central heart chunk of, of what we've read, the very heart of our doctrine and devotion as John Stott, the commentator, sums it up, he says, Here Paul isolates six ingredients of salvation, this beautiful wonder work of God. The ingredients being its need, why it's necessary, its source, where it originates, its ground, what it rests on, its means, how it comes to us, its goal, what it's leading to, and its evidence, how it proves itself. Right there in the heart of all of that, the main idea of the passage is found in verse 5. Really simple, really true. Jesus saves us. Jesus. He's the source of salvation. Jesus and his love for us, our salvation, it rests then upon his mercy to us that he doesn't pronounce sentence upon us according to what might be the right punishment for our sins, what our sin deserves. No, he's he's merciful to us and it rests also upon his grace that rather than punishing us, he himself has been punished so that he can give us the free gift of everlasting life in union with God himself. Wonderful, wonderful work of salvation. And Paul then, he reminds us in these verses, what didn't cause our salvation? He said, what did he say? It's not by works done by us in righteousness. Hmm. It's not by our own doing, our own goodness. Look, the reason we know that our goodness and our own efforts can't save us is found just a little earlier in verse three. We were once, what does it say? Foolish, disobedient, led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Not a pretty picture, is it, hey? And, uh, you know, in case you feel a little disgruntled at being described as this, Paul is saying, We. Now, he was somebody who was religiously um, so devoted, so tried to live a perfect life, but he says, Look, I was like that. I don't know, I'm going to hesitate to say not many of us could match our devotion to religious behaviour up with Paul. Look, we were all in that boat. Our need of salvation was clear, is clear. We can't do it on our own. We're a mess without God, but he comes to save. Look, we live in a world self-help of self-actualization of the, the liberation of the self the recreation of the self however anybody sees fit even the elevation almost the worship of the self yet this letter paul writing to titus in the bible it's god's word says that there's only one self word that is worth anything what's that word self-control you know we need jesus we need his salvation any project that begins and ends with the self, with yourself alone, it's doomed to failure. But beginning with Jesus, his free gift of grace, and ending up with the glory, going to God, look, that's the true way to yourself, myself, really coming alive. What does this salvation look like? What does this life look like? Again, John start he rephrases for us here. He says, God generously poured the Holy Spirit upon us this outpoured spirit has inwardly regenerated and renewed us or is regenerating and renewing us and and all this was outwardly and visibly signified and sealed to us in our baptism oh what a wonder being regenerated, being renewed. Anybody feel the need for that? Do you feel it keenly? Look, it is a need, and it's a wondrous reality. If you come to faith in Jesus, He has changed you fundamentally, and He is renewing you powerfully. Now, notice what a rich salvation this is. The language that's used in these verses. The Bible says here, God pours out the Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ. He doesn't hold back. He's not stingy. Look, you might not have a very high opinion of yourself and yet God sees you with such love that he pours out his grace and his work upon you. What does he then do? He makes you and me to be heirs, inheritors, gives us that status and standing within the family of God so that we can inherit eternal life. What a wonderful inheritance. You know, so many in our world wish to remain slaves to pleasures and passions. Oh goodness, it simply can't compare. Let's celebrate the salvation of Jesus Christ. Let's be reminded of its wonder Let's surrender ourselves again to him. Let's give up uh, the, the snares, the traps of worldly passions and pleasures which could so easily enslave us. Let's belong to Jesus.
2: How great the kaiser that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb Desperation. I turned to heaven and spoke Your name into the night. Then through the darkness, You. written, Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Who could imagine so great a mercy, what hearts could find Then came the morning let's heal the pain
0: Free gift of salvation at the heart of it all. Free to us because of what Jesus has done, what he has given, the price he paid. It's free to us but it invites us into a new way of living. It's free to us but doesn't leave us unchanged. Romans 6 and verse 15 makes this challenge, this possibility plain to us. The Bible says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. The Bible is making plain to us, look, we receive something wondrously, but we shouldn't remain unchanged. God loves you too much to uh, set up barriers or obstacles to you coming to faith. He gives you this free gift, but he loves you too much to, to leave you as you are all the same at the beginning of verse three in our reading of Titus chapter three that there's a phrase there for we ourselves it's really important it's the link between the reason for their actions that that wondrous gospel that we were talking about verses three to seven that gospel of grace and it's the link between that and what Paul is saying to Titus that these Christians people like you and me should be reminded to do in verses one and two. That word for, it's that linking word. And to put these things together means that we are to act circumspectly um, toward outsiders. That we're supposed to have a changed way of living that is evident to others. For this very reason that God saved us. So that we shouldn't act like we used to do. We act differently to the world Uh, because God has changed us so that we can act differently our salvation is intended to show contrast and you know what it really would if we would only let it if we would only live out our salvation, if we would only perhaps restrain our tongue, restrain our own will, rather than letting our tongues, our wills loose to indulge. Sometimes, well, too often in the angers or the hate that are within our our culture and society, Hmm. to restrain our tongues, not quarrelling, not speaking evil of anyone. That is a tough one. Rather being gentle, perfectly courteous oh what a contrast we would make in this world in verses one and two there's an example there given to us that the contrast between being submissive to authorities in order to demonstrate that we're no longer like we were before we knew Jesus Hmm. That's a huge contrast in our culture, an aggressive culture that doesn't just hold authority to account but is constantly seeking to pull it down. Oh, don't misunderstand the Bible. To be submissive to authority is not the same at all as somehow worshipping the state. There's no declaration of Caesar is Lord for us as was in the culture of the Bible times. Nor for us today is there any sense that Boris is Lord or Keir is Lord or any of that kind of nonsense. No, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. Look, if your tendency is to declare this political solution or or that political argument, this particular movement or that particular personality, if your tendency is to declare that any of that is where you should be putting your ultimate trust, then please understand from the Bible here that your balance is way off. None of these systems or worldviews or leaders can save, no matter how good for society any of them might actually be. Moreover, should any political authority or ruler demand that you live in a way which doesn't accord with the holiness God makes plain in the Bible, then our allegiance to God takes precedence if any political authority or ruler should demand that we are prevented from sharing the simple gospel. Now hear me, the simple gospel of Jesus, not your own preferences, not your own additions or your own slants or your own bugbears or hobby horses. No, the simple gospel. If anyone should demand that that be silenced, well then again, our allegiance to God takes precedence. Clearly, God is not aligned with any political party. There's this incredible moment in the Old Testament where an angel of the Lord comes to Joshua, the leader of God's people, and the Bible records that Joshua went up to him and he he asked, "Are you for us or are you for our enemies?" Didn't really know who he was or what was going on, but he was—he knew he was in charge. The angel of the Lord says, "Neither." But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. It's in Joshua 5. Look, God won't pick political sides. He won't affirm your pick for you. And if you're wanting God to say that whatever you do and however you live, he's going to be on your side, well, then you're in for a rude awakening. No, we're supposed to be on God's side. Yet, this does work itself out in the here and now. We are called to a way of submitting ourselves to authority, Titus 3 and 1, as we've read. And we're called to living at peace with others as much as is possible, as much as it depends upon us, Romans 12 and verse 18. We're called to actually be praying for rulers and authorities, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 2. We're called to be seeking the good of the world that we're in, Jeremiah 29 and verse 7, even though there's a strong sense of living in exile from the fullness of the kingdom of God. In fact, Our reading today tells us that we don't simply acquiesce to authority. It's not a passive thing for us. Rather, we're called to invest ourselves in society. We are to be, verse 1 of what we read, ready to do whatever is good. Ready, eager, attentive, invested, not reluctant, not busy with other things. No, ready to do good. Look, this is why we are asking that we all, the Bible is asking, I as your pastor am asking, that we all, not just some, but all be ready to do good as part of Gateway Church, Uh, to give to our COVID-19 appeal as you have determined in prayer and generosity before God. And then to decide how you can invest yourself, yes, in the things that we've had as a church, but in the new things of this season, in our food pantry, our homeless housing partnership. What's your part? To make sure then also that you, you are well connected into one of our transformed communities and getting to share the gospel and the love of Jesus with others in community together. Church, look, I have to be candid with us. We've a way to go on this. You know, we can be pretty lovely with one another. I've been the beneficiary of lots of your loveliness. But the Bible is making plain to us we need to go further we're to speak evil not just of no one in the church but of no one in the world as well we're to show courtesy to people in the church but the bible says to all people as folks all around us we're to be invested in them in a society that is rapidly seeing redundancies add up needs escalate confusion and despair take hold church we this church we need to be ready to do whatever is good don't delay get stuck in come on right now pull out your phone message email call connect you are needed you are called you are as the bible says here Reminded.
1: Instead, a passion in my heart. more, Cause Jesus, you are where it all began, your beauty calls me deeper in, and a passion see. There's so much more. Jesus, you are where it all begins. Your beauty draws us deep. And let it rise, let it rise And hold hope-
0: the the, the closing verses of the the chapter perhaps and drawing towards the end there in Titus 3 verses 8 to 11 if you want to follow along but what they're doing is they're still continuing the sense right from the beginning of the chapter verses 1 and 2 that outworking of this wonderful gospel in the world that we live in what did verse 2 say it said to avoid quarrelling And verses 9 to 11 continue like this. They say, "...avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless." as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful he is self-condemned it's tough language isn't it it's quite straight down the down the line what are we being warned against well foolish controversies goodness goodness don't we live in a day and an age of controversy? And certainly this uh, COVID-19 season has simply amplified that. Uh, You simply can't go on social media at all. Maybe we shouldn't go on social media, I'm not sure, um, without kind of seeing a number of these things kind of springing into your newsfeed. These ideas that, Bill Gates for instance is the is the antichrist ushering in some one world order or COVID-19 it absolutely has to be one of the great plagues prophesied in the bible or wearing of masks is part of mind control of the population or that any vaccine that might emerge during this pandemic is part of a conspiracy to lead people into their own destruction look I'm not saying that, you know, folks shouldn't be cautious or that folks shouldn't be wanting to to understand things appropriately. But goodness, the idea that Bill Gates, who frankly couldn't get a virus off most of your PCs successfully, is supposedly using this virus as a path to world domination and the ensuing apocalypse. Really? Really? Come on. Here, Paul says to remind us to... Avoid the controversy. That word for avoid. That word it literally means to walk around something. You know, of course, in the, the sense of the the scriptures here, it just sim- simply means avoid it. But that word picture is helpful, isn't it? Look, there's a lot of controversy out there. There's a lot of dissension. There's a lot of argument and anger and intrigue and all these kinds of things. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, the Bible is saying, look, foolish controversies walk around them Christians walk around them Uh, now uh, reading on in verse 11 uh, the Bible is talking about knowing people who are perhaps involved in foolish controversies or in in arguments and dissensions knowing them and acting appropriately and to paraphrase all of these things the Bible says avoid controversies but for those who persist in them, they should be warned because actually they're acting like people who've never embraced this gospel, that never been changed by God. So treat them as such, because as we've seen in the scripture, it says they're sinful and self-condemned. Goodness, this is stark. When people are genuinely dissenting and argumentative and disruptive, they're to be actually rebuked. So a pastor like Titus that Paul is writing to and a church itself has to know which is which. The pastor must know for instance when to apply Proverbs 26 verse 4 which says answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself that is don't get involved in foolish controversies. And when then, to apply the following verse, Proverbs 26, verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. That is, if somebody is dissenting, get stuck in. Come on, we need unity. We need to be together in the gospel, together serving God's purposes in the world. Why is this important? Why is it important? Because the gospel is important. Because the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ is important. As one Christian leader noted, just this Easter time at the beginning of this pandemic season in the West, he he noted this. He said, last week, my Facebook feed was full of people posting crazy COVID conspiracy theories, followed by posts about evidence for the resurrection. I don't think they realise the message they're actually sending. Christian's what is the message of your life? What is the message of the words that you speak, the interactions that you have, the things that you're invested in? What is the message of your social media? What is the message of your conversation? Why would we indulge in idle speculation and conspiracy theorising? Look, honestly, I can count on the fingers of one foot How many people have become more loving of the lost, more bold in the gospel, more committed to service through such things, Hmm. but by gently loving your church, there's an idea, and and by finding ways to serve, by embracing the fullness of the gospel in your life and then maybe telling another about it, oh, these are ways that we can grow. Why is this all important? because a church that that becomes full of dissenting opinions and, and separated lives just doesn't change the world. In last week's study in Titus, we saw all the different generations, didn't we? Older women and younger women, older men and younger men, all becoming united in living out the same faith in their homes and situations. They were one. There was one Lord, one gospel, one God, one faith, and one way that it would demonstrate it in all the different facets of different lives. And back then, as well, we saw there was this reference to the tragic injustice of slavery, this weeping sore in humanity. And over and over again, the Bible calls us to unity in Christ, in spite of and over and above the divisions of this world, even such divisions as slavery. The evidence is clear that those who do invest themselves in the unity of the church— do change the world. Here's one of them, William Wilberforce, that slavery abolitionist, he said a private faith that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all. How did he get there? Did he get there through foolish controversies and dissenting opinions? No, he got there by unity with other Christians all of different backgrounds, unity for the purposes of living out the gospel against the injustices of his day. What are you about? What are you all about Christian? Why for instance would you want to be in this season back in our church building? Is it so that you might then encourage one another and spur one another on toward love and good works as the book of Hebrews tells us or is it just so that we can go back to normal? Hmm, please God, not normal. Barbara Johnson tells this little parable and it goes like this. A man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into a pit. A mathematician calculated how he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on the pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. A taxman asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A charismatic person said, just confess that you're not in a pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. But Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. What do you want? Do you want plenty to talk about? Or do you want something to do? Do you want to divide and try to conquer? Or do you want to unite with God's people in this season so that you might together lift the weak and the weary, the lost and the desperate? You've only got one life. I've only got one life. We can't do both. Which will you choose? Which will you choose? As we come now to share in communion, as we worship together, let me speak again to those who are Christians. Which will you choose? The way of this communion, of this bread, this cup that we now share, shows us the choice of Christ so evidently. It's not about words. It's not about quarrels. It's about grace. It's about giving. It's about sacrifice. It's about service. It's about an investment in others, whether they seem like they're worth investing in or not. Jesus gave it all. How about us? And if today you're here with us and, you you know, all of these things I'm talking about of Jesus, they they seem nice, but maybe they're distant from you. Look, there's a choice you can make today as well. Will you choose Jesus? He's very, really, very profoundly chosen you. He's very wonderfully chosen to give himself for you will you choose to give yourself into his hands put your life in his hands accept this salvation you need it just as much as i need it oh goodness i have needed jesus and i i continue to need jesus you too place your life in his hands today he loves you he wants to welcome you and draw you together with all god's people in being the change that this world needs. If you're choosing Jesus, simply respond in the the chat that's available there. We'd love to pray with you. And each and every one of us right now, we get to enjoy what it is to share in communion. Remember that Christ has chosen us and we too can choose his way.
2: God, you. God, I look to you, and you're where my hell comes from. Give me up, you know just what to do, yeah, yeah. Hey